Last week, we, the youth were in Galatians. We got through verse uh, one, 1 through 5. We're going to somehow try to get through the whole chapter. So uh, we'll see how that goes. All right, Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many... But as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. What purpose then does law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized in Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ then, You are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. We thank you how you've revealed your truth to us, given us the gospel, which we're so grateful for. God, we pray you would bless this time. Lord, we pray you'd be with Pastor Pat and his family right now. Lord, pray for the healing upon them, that you'd bless them, sustain them, and preserve them, and be their strength, God. 
And Lord, as we uh, open up your word and, and hear what you have to say, Lord, I pray for our hearts, including my own, Lord, that we would be tender to you, that we would be ready to receive everything that you want to speak to us, that we'd hear it, understand it, and apply it in our lives. So we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. All right, Galatians. Well, Galatians is, a, is an awesome book. A little context um, but before we jump in, kind of in the middle of a, of a book. Um, chapter 1, Paul begins and he says, I marvel, I'm, ast- I'm astounded, I'm astonished that you would move away from the gospel. They're turning away from the gospel to another gospel that Paul says is not even a real gospel. And what was going on in, in Galatia, and Galatia is an area... Um, it's in modern-day Turkey, and, and Galatia is a region. So Paul writes this book to the churches of Galatia. So it wasn't just one specific church. It was an area, kind of like we think of, we live in the area of the valley or San Joaquin County. It's a whole area and many churches in our area. Same thing, Galatia was an area, uh, again, in, in modern-day Turkey. And Paul went, and he, in his missionary journeys, he went to Galatia, and he preached the gospel. People got saved, and churches got planted. And um, as he planted, obviously, it was built upon the gospel, the true gospel, salvation through faith in Christ's work on the cross. And what was happening in Galatia and in other parts in the early church where people were coming in and they were twisting the gospel. And all sorts, of, all sorts of different heresies and different things came up. But one of the things that was happening in this area was people were saying that you had to go back to the law of God. Okay, it's not just enough that Jesus died for us, it's also the law, the law of Moses that, that God gave Moses and, and then to the people of Israel. And so they were turning from the gospel back to the law. And these are Gentile, primarily Gentile believers in this region. And these, these um, Jewish believers were saying, hey, it's about the law. And so Paul says, I marvel, how could you possibly turn away from the gospel. It's kind of, it's crazy when you think about it, right? What gospel, what does the word gospel mean? Good news, right? It's good news. Why would you ever leave good news to go back to something else, to bad news? But that's what they're doing. And Paul says, I marvel that you would do that. And so that's chapter one. He gives his testimony. Part of his testimony is to say that, look, I was a Jew and I was like a Jew of Jews. He was all about the law. When he was Saul, before he, uh, before he got knocked off his high horse on, a, on the road to Damascus and got saved, he was all about the law. You know, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He knew it all, and he lived it all. And so his testimony, you know, it's, it has that extra weight because he knows what it's like to try to be justified by the law of God. And, and then in chapter 2, uh, Paul, he kind of recites his time among them, and, and, and he talks about, um, also talks about this encounter he had with, with Peter. And in, and in our youth, we've been talking about it. We call it the, the junior high lunchroom moment, where you have, there's, this, there's having their agape feast, just like we're having today. That's what they would have in the early church, this time that we're gathered together and we'd fellowship. And back in, in Old Testament times, specifically in the Middle East, sharing a meal was like being unified, it's you, you become one. You, you know, we're eating of the same bread, of the same food. We're, and so there's this element of, of being unified. And what was happening, Paul shares a time when they, Peter 
one, you know, one of the disciples, was eating with them, and in, in the church there were these Gentiles, Gentile believers. And Paul, Peter's eating with them, he's enjoying whatever they're eating. And all of a sudden some Jewish um, men come in, Jewish Christians that were all about the law. And so what Peter does is this kind of classic junior high, decides to leave his table he's with and go sit with the cool kids. And he goes over and he moves and he starts sitting with the um, Jewish believers. Okay, and he won't eat with the Gentiles, leaves them. And it might seem like it's something kind of silly, but Paul, he nails him for this. Because what Peter is communicating by doing this is he's saying that the Gentiles aren't really fully saved. That, that salvation is not just in Jesus, it's also in these Jewish traditions. Okay, and the big one that they use is this word circumcision. Right? They talked about those that are of the circumcision, be the Jews, and those that are uncircumcised, the Gentiles. Okay? And, and if you were a, a Gentile, you could become a Jew, and what you would do to become a Jew, the sign would be that of circumcision. That was your kind of initiation ritual. ritual. You know, I think about like different rituals initiating people, and that's what they did. That's how you become a Jew is through circumcision. And so Peter is basically communicating when he decides to leave the Gentiles and go sit with the Jews is that to really be saved, you have to also go back to the Jewish traditions. And Paul just rips him for it. He calls him out publicly. It's very specific in, this, in chapter 2. He says, before all, he says, Paul, Peter, what are you doing? Because he's diluting the message of the gospel. He's, he's perverting it. And Paul will not have that. And so that's the context of chapter 2, and, and Paul reminds us that, look, I died to the law. I died to the law. Now I get to live for Christ. And so in, verse, in chapter 3 begins, Oh, foolish Galatians, foolish Galatians, you fools, you idiots. I mean, that's what it's saying, right? We see foolish Galatians, and it kind of, I don't know, foolish, it just kind of sounds like maybe a childish term. It's like, you're, you're, fool, you're being fools. You're being idiots. Who has bewitched you? What, you've come under this spell. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly betrayed among you as crucified. When Paul went to Galatia, and wherever he went, he preached the gospel. He preached Christ crucified. Now, the Galatians didn't their eyes weren't, didn't literally see Jesus crucified. They weren't present in Jerusalem for that. But they did witness it in the sense that Paul has clearly portrayed the gospel before them. They've heard the good news. And same goes for us. You know, we may, obviously we weren't there 2,000 years ago. We didn't witness the crucifi- crucifixion. But we have witnessed the crucifixion, right? If you've received Christ, if you've recognized the truth of the gospel, we've witnessed it. We've accepted it. We've believed in it. And these Galatians, they're, they're being persuaded against it. They've been bewitched. And Paul says, you're, you're acting like fools. Why would you do that? Verse, in, in, chapter, in, in verse 2, he starts asking these, these questions. They're kind of rhetorical questions, but they're good to give a response to as well. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing of the faith? So this is, while it might seem like in Galatians, you know, talking about the law and, and our salvation through 
through faith. It's a little bit different than what we've been doing with our study on the Holy Spirit. But Galatians really parallels um, our understanding of the Spirit because there's a ton of passages about the Spirit. And here we see our first one where it says, look, how did you receive the Spirit? Was it from works? Is that how you got the Spirit? God gave it to you because of all your great works? Or was it from faith? Of course, we know the answer is of faith. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? That verse just gets me. Because I can relate. You know, we can read this and, and we can kind of, kind of join in with Paul and say, you foolish Galatians, you're, what are you doing? What are you thinking? But you know, when I start analyzing my life, I'm, sometimes I'd say, foolish Mike. Because, um, man, I can relate to verse verse 3, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? There's something in me that wants to try to earn my salvation. There's something in me that feels like I'm doing good with God, I'm, I'm right with God, I'm accepted by God, when I'm doing, doing well by the law. Oh, man, you know, I, I did all my quiet times this week. You know, I, I, I was patient with my kids. You know, I did, I did, all, I did everything I was supposed to do. You know, I went out, there was a, early in my faith, um, when I was saved on a college campus, and I, and I had the privilege of doing a lot of evangelism, and I found that my faith was wrapped up in how much I shared my, shared my faith. If I shared the gospel a lot, then I was this rock star Christian, you know, I'm, 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 I'm it, you know? But when I didn't, then, you know, I, I wasn't really living it up. And what you're doing is you're creating a standard that your salvation, your relationship with God is built on your works, but not on faith, not on, faith, not on grace. Because our best works are filthy rags before God. The best that I can do is filthy rags. Now, we're going to talk about that doesn't mean we don't give God our best and try to live according to the law and God's standard, but it's, it's in our approach to the law. Are we saved because? by the law, or are we saved, um, because we're saved, we get to live out the law. So it's so important that we remember that we're not made perfect by the law. Even after we come to faith in Christ, we were made perfect by Jesus. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus completes the work, not us. So we start by faith, and we have to finish by faith. Verse 4, have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? And again, he's just coming to the point of, you started off in faith, and as a result of your faith in Christ, you, the Galatians particularly back in that time, they, were, they were, went through a lot of persecution. And there's blessings that came out of that persecution. They got to share in the sufferings of Christ. But if they're leaving the gospel and going to, to works and to the law, then all of that blessing and all that, good, that great stuff, all those rewards are all gone. It's in vain because they've left the true gospel. Verse 5, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So what's awesome about this chapter is Paul takes us through a journey into the Old Testament. And, you know, one of the criticisms that people give Christianity a lot t today in, and, um, in the church is that 
they talk about the Bible, and they say, well, it's kind of like two stories, right? You have the Old Testament and the New Testament, and, and God's one God in the Old, and he's a different God in the New Testament. And those people usually haven't actually really read the scripture from Genesis through Revelation. But I love passages like this because we see that the Bible isn't this, yes, it's 66 separate books, but it's one book. God ties it all in together so perfectly. And this chapter does it. Paul preaches the gospel from the Old Testament. Can you do that? Can you preach the gospel from the Old Testament? If you encountered a Jew today, you you might. Could you open up just the Old Testament and preach them Jesus from it? Paul can. Paul did. Obviously, that's what he had at the time. The New Testament was being written. He was authoring it. Verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Okay, so we're going to take a little journey through the Old Testament. We're going to hit as many of these passages as we can, but obviously time is short, so we'll only, you know, do what we can do. But starting in Genesis 15, Paul's addressing Abraham, the father of our faith. The Jewish nation began, the nation of Israel began with Abraham. God called this man Abraham, and out of Abraham came Jacob and Isaac and, um, maybe I should say Isaac and then Jacob, um, and then the 12 tribes and, and so on and so forth. And, but it all began with Abraham. So we're going to look at Abraham and how he was justified. Chapter 15 in Genesis, verses 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Isn't that an awesome verse? I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. That should be a life verse for us, right? That God would be our shield and our reward. Shield speaks of that he's our protector and reward. He's he's everything that we want. He's what we're looking for. May God be everything that we need and everything that we want in this life. May that be the prayer of our hearts. In verse 2, but Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this one shall be your heir, but one who will be, this, this one shall not be your heir, but one will, who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it, for him, accounted it to him for righteousness. So God gave Abraham, Abram at the time, righteousness because of his belief in God and the promise that God had given him that in him would be all these descendants. And we'll look at his, a little bit more of his promises in a moment. But in Genesis 15, you know, what has Abraham or Abram done for God at this point? Well, he hasn't been circumcised yet. The sign of circumcision comes in chapter 17. So if, if we're truly saved by circumcision, then what was the deal with Abraham? Like he, God said, you're, 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 you're righteous now, not because of what you're going to do, not because of circumcision, not because of the law, which isn't going to come for another 430 years, but because of belief in God. Now, that belief, we need to be very careful because it's not just, oh, I believe that God's real, he's out there, 
You know, he's, he's true. Of course, there's a God. How can I not believe there's a God, right? But belief means a trust, a trust in him, putting your faith and your trust in him and in his promises. And so that's what Abraham did. And as a result of him trusting it, it was accounted for him as righteousness. Righteousness just means a right standing before God. Not from works, because Abraham hadn't done the works yet. Verse 7, Therefore know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. So it's really interesting when you look at what that means. We have our, our, our song, right? We like that, Father Abraham had many sons. Um, and we all sing it. You know, we have fun, um, especially with our kids. And, but it's so clear that being a true son of Abraham is not just genetics, Okay, you can be a son of Abraham genetically. That is, you come from his lineage. His, you know, you're a Jewish by blood. But you might not truly be a son of Abraham, at least not spiritually. The true sons of Abraham are those that are sons of faith, that follow in that faith in God, which is really cool if you're a Gentile, which I'm guessing most of us in here are. Okay, um, That we are sons of Abraham. Us too. We are also sons of Abraham Sons, because we're sons of the faith, just like he had that faith and trust in God. Check out verse 8, though. This is sweet. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. Man, there's so much in this verse. Starts off with the scripture foreseeing. So you, you see that, like how cool that sounds? The scripture, the Bible, foresees. The Bible has eyes. It's almost as if it was like written by God or something. The, Paul's saying, look, the, the scripture foresees that, that God knows what he's doing. And the end, we're in, a, in the New Testament. We know that the Gentiles are going to be, they're going to have faith. That they're going to be saved. Okay, so is the Old Testament just for the Jews? Again, did God change all of a sudden? First, he, you know, he just had salvation for the nation of Israel. But he's like, you know what? I changed my mind. I'm going to add the Gentiles into, into this. Let's throw in the New Testament now. Good, we got it covered. No. Man, God loves everyone, all nations, all peoples. And we can see that back in the Old Testament. Again, a cohesive book, 66 books with separate messages, all with one main message, the gospel. And Genesis 12, 1 through 3, is what he's quoting here when he says, In you all the nations shall be blessed. I like to refer it as the Great Commission, really. We, when we think of the Great Commission, we think of Matthew 28, right? But we could call that the Great Recommission because Genesis 12, 1 through 3 first states it. Now the Lord's had said to Abraham, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. So there's going to be seven blessings he's going to give Abram. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I'm trying to teach my kids this. Um, bless others. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. That last part, Paul says that's the gospel. The gospel didn't begin in the New Testament. He says, 
This is the gospel right here. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, what does that mean? In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham, in his seed, in, in his descendants, will be a number of really great people, men and women. One really great one. And who is that? Who is that? Jesus. In, out of Abraham comes Jesus. And so the blessings, God blesses the nation of Israel in many ways. And you see this great nation, these many people that come, this land that he promised them. But the biggest blessing comes, forward, comes forth through Jesus, who comes out of Abraham. And so, verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So all of us receive this great blessing of God through Abraham and the seed that's going to come, Jesus Christ. So there you go. If, 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 um, there's a couple little verses if you want to preach Jesus uh, from the Old Testament. There's a couple that you can use. We've got some more coming. Verse 10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Okay, so he's already established that our righteousness comes through belief, not from works, not from the law. And so now he's going to address, look, you have a choice here. God gives us choices. You can try to be justified by the law, or you can try to be justified by the faith. Which one do you want to do? He's going to talk about the law and your attempt to be justified by that, what's going to really happen, and if you want to be justified by faith. So here you go. You want the law? Have it. But this is what it says. Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So, does it say, cursed are you if thou doesn't commit murder? No. It says, cursed if you, of you if you do not commit all of the things. A lot of times when you talk to people and you say, you know, are you basically a good person? A lot of, you know, why should you go to heaven or why should God receive you? They'll say, oh, I'm basically a good person. I've never killed someone. Okay, so that's, that's the standard. You've never killed someone. Well, good. I'm glad. Um, we know the standard's a little bit higher than that. Here, you're going to be cursed if you don't keep all of the law. Okay, you didn't kill, kill someone, good, there's more to it. If you want to be measured by the law, if you want to be accepted into, in, into heaven, into God's kingdom by the law, you've got to keep all of it. And you've got to do them. Not just know them, not just have them memorized. Think about Paul. He, he probably had the whole law memorized, right? But did he keep 100% of the law, actually do it? Of course not. Verse 11, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Justified means being made, being approved in God's sight. Maybe you've heard the phrase, just think of justified like this, just as if I've never sinned. Justified. Just as if I've never sinned. And no one can be justified by the law. Check this out. Where? In the sight of God. We could be justified by the law when we compare each other, right? Because that's what happens sometimes. Like, oh, you know, I'm better than that guy over there. No offense, John. Um, you know, I'm better than that. I think I'm okay. I'm justified. But it's not, it doesn't matter what people see. It, it matters in the sight of God. can't be justified by the law in the sight of God because we've all failed it. And then um, Paul here, he um, he quotes Habakkuk 2.4 and says, The just shall live by faith. 
This verse is quoted here in Galatians. It's also quoted in Romans and in Hebrews. And it's just such a key, key verse. The just shall live by faith. If you want to be justified, how are you going to get it? How are you going to be made just as if I haven't sinned by the law? Of course not. You have to live by faith. Yet the, law is not, yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. So again, you can choose, you can try to be justified by the law, but that's not a, that's not a walk of faith. If you want to be justified by the law, that means you have to do the law. That's how it works. So if you want to get to heaven, there is another way. Be perfect. 100% of the time. Good luck. Right? No, we're born in sin. We, we can't do it. So that's why there is only one way, because we've all sinned. 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So Paul, as he's going through this chapter, he's really depicting the gospel. He began by saying, hey, how could you walk away from the gospel? I can't believe you would ever do that. Turn away from the gospel. And so what he does is he throws in these nuggets of these little pictures and uh, and portraits of the gospel. And he he just talked about, hey, look, we're all cursed. That's part of the gospel, right? That's the bad news, of course, but that we're all under sin. That's where we are at in and of ourselves, under sin. And here's the good news of the gospel, that Christ has redeemed us. Redeemed means payment. There was something that was owed, right? What, is, what was owed? The wages of sin is death, okay? So, you know, just like I mentioned earlier, there's part of me that wants to earn it. The only thing I've earned is death, right? Because that's what my sin has earned, my paycheck. I've, I've sinned this week. Let me go get my paycheck and try to deposit. What do I get back? Death. Um, that's what I would get. But... Christ has redeemed us. He took that death, that, that paycheck that I earned, he took it. And he didn't just dismiss it. God didn't just show mercy. He didn't just dismiss it and pretend it didn't happen. God's a just God. He has to pay. Sin has to be paid for. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So he didn't just ignore it. He paid for it. He took our sin, that paycheck that we earned, he placed it on Jesus. Our curse, we should be cursed. Think about that. We should be cursed. Because of Jesus' redemption work on the cross, Jesus was cursed. He was cursed for us. And again, I just love all this Old Testament because it makes it, when you go back and you're reading through the Old Testament, you know, never say it's boring because it's going to keep sending you back into the New Testament, all these beautiful pictures of Jesus. In, In verse 13, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. You know, that would be a, when it was written in the, in the Old Testament, they would be thinking of, of being hung, right? Hung on a tree and being exposed. What a, what a kind of a shameful death to be exposed before all. And of course, that's what the cross was, this wooden cross made of a tree of wood and Jesus being exposed before all, taking our curse. And he was cursed for our sin, took that death. Why that, that um, the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. Now, of course, it's not just for the Gentiles, but that's the focus of this book, is that salvation isn't just for the Jews. We get it too. Hallelujah, right? 
the blessing of Abraham can come to the Gentiles that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit, and one of the things that the Holy Spirit does that we've been learning is he indwells us. And how does he indwell us, right? He, he is with us, convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But then when we receive him, when we receive Christ, um, believe, put our faith in him, he comes and he indwells us. And that's how we receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in a manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant which was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. So what Paul is doing here is he's saying, look, even when men make a covenant, you can't break a covenant, especially back in that day. You know, you, you committed that, right? We sign our name or we shake our hands. The Bible tells us, let your yes be yes, your no be no. A covenant is supposed to hold up. Even for men, we realize that. And Paul is saying, look, I, God made the covenant. And if God makes it, of course it's going to hold up. It talks again about the seed. When it's referring to seed, Abraham's seed, it doesn't say seeds. If it said seeds, plural, it would refer to just all of Abraham's descendants. But seed, singular, means it's referring specifically to one descendant who is, of course, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. And again, that, that this promise was made 430 years before the law. Okay? So you can't say Abraham. What, I mean, what about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? And the 12 tribes of Jacob, were they not really justified because they didn't have the law? I mean, how does that work? Well, it wouldn't work if we were justified by the law. Okay, again, cohesive, cohesiveness in the scriptures. It works because they weren't justified by it. They were justified by faith in God. And 18, for if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. We have an inheritance and it's a promise. And it was already mentioned earlier this morning, but it's so good to know God's promises, right? And th- that they're promises. A promise is all based, based on who makes it. I can trust it because God's making the promise. We probably have people we know in our lives, in our families who make promises and they don't um, hold up to them, right? Oh, I promise I'll, you know, we, um, I, had a, I had a cousin growing up that would often promise that they would come see us and my sister my little sister would always get so excited i can't wait to see my cousin and that morning there'd be the phone call ah, i'm not gonna be able to make it you know and that that pain because that promise wasn't fulfilled but god's not like that we don't have to question am i really gonna have an eternal inheritance am i really gonna make it to heaven there's no doubt why it doesn't rest on us see if it was law we, we would have reason to doubt because it would be reliant upon me and I'm not going to fulfill it. But the promise is reliant upon God. He already fulfilled it. So I could have faith in him that I have an in, in eternal inheritance. So what's the purpose of the law? That's what Paul gets into. What pr- purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Okay, this is a confusing verse. 
There you go. It's confusing. Uh, what does it mean? There's a lot of different opinions. Um, a mediator mediates between two people, right? You have there's conflict, two people. Mediator brings mediation, right? They bring them together and they help them work through it. Well, this we know. We have a mediator and it's Jesus. So we no longer have to go through anyone anymore. We don't have to have a priest. We don't have to um, you know, do these works. As a, the law doesn't have to be a mediator. We have one mediator, and that's Jesus. He serves it, and, and Jesus is God. So um, that's kind of the way I look at it, but um, you, know, you can uh, study it and see how the Lord leads you with that. Verse 21, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. So here, Paul, is Paul condemning the law? Is he saying the law is bad? Because that's kind of what it sounds like. He's like going on attack against the law, right? No. The law is not bad. What's bad is emphasis of our salvation, our righteousness on the law. The law is good because it serves purposes. It serves a lot of purposes. One, uh, we, the youth recently went through the, the Ten Commandments. And a lot of those laws, I want them to keep. Okay? We already talked about murder. Let's keep that commandment. That's a good commandment. That will make our lives a little bit better if we don't murder each other. Let's not steal from each other. That's a good commandment. So a lot of the law, it's because we're sinners and we're prone to do evil things, and the law gives, helps us be civil, right? The law helps us to love each other, shows us ways to be kind and love each other. But the law also points us to Christ because it shows us that we don't do those things and we need salvation, So Paul says, For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. So the law confines us because the law shows us we're prisoners. The law shows us that we fail to meet God's holy standard. It confines us. And we're waiting for the faith which was to be revealed. The law points us to Jesus. It points us to Jesus through our realization that we're sinners and we need salvation, we need payment for our, for our debt. It reveals Jesus by when you look at the Old Testament, you see the sacrificial system that points us to Christ. It all was made to be a shadow of things to come, that which is Jesus, his death and and sacrifice for us. So verse 24, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. The tutor says, the law is our tutor, says, hey, you need Jesus. You need to be justified by faith, because your works aren't going to get you there. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. And the key word there is under a tutor. Does it mean that we throw out the law? Does it mean anything? Of course not, but we're not under the law. We get to follow the law because we love Jesus. The illustration I use with kids when I, when I share the gospel to them is like this. I say, look, God's given us a free gift, and if I gave you a gift, all you have to do is accept it. I can hold it here in my hands. You know, I don't know what you want. Here, you want a remote? Here's your gift, all right? Do you want it? you got to take it. It's not yours until you take it, okay? Now, once you take it, what's your response? If someone gives you something, what do you say to them? Thank you, right? And that's what our response is to God. 
If God's given us a gift, the gift of salvation, we respond by saying thank you. And the way we say thank you is the way we live our life. We love God. We love him. We want to honor him and obey his commandments. We say thank you, God, for this gift by trying to honor him. So I'm thankful for the law because it reveals God's heart. It shows us how he wants us to interact with one another. But we got to make sure that we don't live under the law, that our salvation is not based on it. We can't have a performance-based faith. It has to be through Jesus alone that we're saved, and then as a result, get to follow him and get to love him and live for him. Verse 26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't say, hear me out on this, it doesn't say you are all sons and daughters of God. Your translation might say children of God. Some translations do say children of God, but I don't think that's the best translation. I think the best translation is you are all sons of God. The, the, the word in Greek, it has the masculine form, which, which would obviously point to being sons and not just children. So what does that mean? Does this mean it excludes women? Not at all. On the contrary, it's saying women have the status that you're a son of God. So hear me out on this. Both men and women are sons of God. Think about it in a Jewish perspective, okay? Who gets the inheritance? If you had a, if you had a family, you had kids, you have, you know, five kids and a couple of daughters, that inheritance would be divided among the men, okay? Not the women, be among the men. So the man carries on. And even in our day, we have some of that still with traditionally the, the women take on the man's last name. So there's a, still a little bit of that in our culture where you, the woman goes and becomes part of the man and, and takes on that name. But if you were, so ladies, you are also a son of God because you get the inheritance. This, in fact, not only does it include women, but it, it elevates them on equal, levy, equal playing field as men. Okay? You want to be a son of God because you get God's inheritance too. Isn't that awesome? Through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You know, we're united in Christ. That's, that's what it's all about. Unified through Christ. It's, it's Jesus that brings us together. You know, I can, be, I can be friends with a Dodgers fan because of Jesus. <laughs> it can happen. Niners and Raiders fans, we can, we can sit together during our agape feast here because of Jesus. And, and it's unfortunate because that's actually not, we kind of joke about that, but it actually is, is kind of true that, I mean, we can, we get these, these cliques and these, these groups, and we can really get angry at other people and other um, ethnicities. That's part of our, our heritage as people, right? We look at certain people, and they're not really people because of their skin color, you know, whatever it might be. But Christ unifies us. We are one body. Because of Jesus. That's what our fellowship is about. I mean, I know a lot of my friends, a lot of my brothers in the Lord, if it wasn't for Jesus, we just wouldn't be friends. Like, they're, they're great people, but we share nothing in common other than Jesus. 
But because of that, there is this fellowship that is so, this relationship that's so deep that I can hang out with the Sharks now, the big San Jose Sharks players, and we high-five, and we, and we talk about the Sharks for a couple of minutes, and it's fun, and then it passes. But this fellowship that we have through Jesus, about being a, being a fam- we're family because of Jesus. We're one in Christ. Isn't that amazing? And that's what brings us together, and that's what we even celebrate today for our agape feast, is being one in Christ. Because of the gospel. You know why I love this chapter? It's all about the gospel. Do you guys love the gospel? I've been telling the youth, we, we're going to start ending our youth time with just reviewing the gospel. And I challenge them and challenge you guys. Whenever, when, when service ends, and, and whether it's Pastor Pat or I'll do it today, we, we give the gospel, and we think a lot of times, oh, that's for the, those that don't know the Lord. Give them a chance to respond to the gospel. No, it, yes, but no, it's for us too. It's reminded of the promise we have through Christ. Gosh, I don't ever want to want to be like the Galatians that would turn away from the good news. Man, I've been saved. I was cursed. I should be cursed right now. But Jesus paid for it. He died on the cross. Now I'm blessed. I have Abraham's blessing. I don't have to earn it. It's not like the Mosaic law that I'm, I'm blessed if I follow these commandments and these laws. No, I'm blessed because of faith through Christ. It's finished. And I have an eternal inheritance. So let's remember that. Let's walk in that this week. Would you pray with me, please? Well, Father God, we thank you for the gospel. Lord, I, I wish it, it could, we had a better word than just good news. Lord, it's the best news ever. God, we thank you that you've saved us. Lord, I thank you that we're not saved by the law, Lord, because you, you know we couldn't do it. Can't be forgiven based on the law. We all fail. We all fall short. But we thank you that you died for our sins, that you took that curse and you put it upon your son, that we could be forgiven. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray for us, Lord, it, that you would help us to always walk in your grace, Lord, and, and never turn to a works-based relationship with you, but simply, simply live out our faith, simply follow the law or, or try to live righteously just because we love you, want to honor you, God, but realizing that in and of ourselves, Lord, we're, we're condemned and we need you and your grace. Lord, so help us to walk by the Spirit. We thank you that you've given us your Spirit to be in us, to indwell us, to strengthen us and empower us. Help us to walk by him. In Jesus' name, amen.